Hello, welcome back to my Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I am your host, G2, and I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, Impact Wrestling, Friday Night Smackdown. Now, with all that being said, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw kicks off with a tag team triple threat match for the Raw Tag Team Championships. RK Bro going against Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens going against the champions Alpha Academy. RK Bro would win the match by pinfall when Rollins and Kevin Owens hit their combo well finisher, a buckle bomb, a stunner, and then a curb stomp on Gable. And then Riddle slid into the ring, threw Rollins out of the ring, and then Riddle covered Gable for the win. So this allowed RK Bro to win the match, and now they are the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Um, this whole match literally was to see who was basically going to be the Raw Tag Team Champions, but the bigger overarching point of this was to see who had a clear path going into WrestleMania. Because RK Bro, they didn't have a clear path because nobody knew what they were doing. Were they going to be on WrestleMania this year, or were they not? Alpha Academy, they've been busting their butts all this time, and they've been wanting to get on Mania. They've been as I said before, busting their butts, so now this is their perfect opportunity, but you had Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, who, two guys that are literally one of the top, two of the top guys in Raw, and they literally have no way to make it a Mania, so this was their only shot to make it on Mania, and this whole match was literally to see who's going to make it, and RK Bro win, they have a clear point, like a clear path to WrestleMania now, but now we are left at where does this leave all the other two teams? But more specifically, where does this leave Seth and Kevin Owens? Because after the match, you saw RK Bro celebrating in the ring. They're talking about now they have a clear path to WrestleMania. And then you see Kevin Owens sitting next to the ring steps. He just talking to himself. And then you see Rollins just walk away as he just walk up the ramp, look straight ahead, not saying nothing. He just like in a complete disarray and just in shock. So now... We're trying to figure out where does this leave Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens going into Mania. Or do they go to Mania? We will get backstage interviews later in the night of both Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, but separately, not together. Seth Rollins doesn't say nothing in his promo. He just straight up just stares off. He doesn't say nothing. While Kevin Owens, on the other end, he says, you know what? I have a plan. I know how I'm going to get on Mania. I know what I have to do. And he says, by the later tonight, you'll understand exactly what I got to do. So later in the night, we will hear from Kevin Owens. Anyway, after this triple threat tag team matchup, we will get a 24-7 championship match with Dana Brooke with Reggie in her corner, going against Tamina with Akira Tozawa in her corner. This was a break match just to let the people uh, recover from that awesome triple threat tag team match that they just experienced. Dana Brooks would win the match by pinfall when Tamina had Dana in the Boston Crab, and then Dana was able to counter out of it, reverse out of it, if you will, and then pin Tamina. That was it. After this, we had Miz and Logan Paul for an in-ring segment. They're in the ring talking about how they're from Cleveland, Ohio. That's where Raw emanated from this week, and the fans were cheering Miz. Miz talked about how Cleveland loves them and how they get him. And how everybody else in the world might not get the Miz because the Miz had throw shots at Rey Mysterio because Rey would cheat and all this stuff. But whenever Rey does it, he's celebrated as a legend. But when Miz does it, everybody in the world doesn't see him as one. But people in Cleveland do. Call out 
Logan Paul, they do their whole, we're from Cleveland deal, we're big stars, people who love us, yada, yada, yada. You get Jerry Lawler out here, Lawler talks about how great Cleveland is, and says that Cleveland should host the next Mania. And then you get the Miz kind of turning on Cleveland and start clowning the city of Cleveland. He says that Cleveland isn't a Mania city. They're not, they're not ready to handle a Mania because... Cleveland is not the city of champions. As a matter of fact, whenever people get a small glimpse of Hollywood or a small glimpse of fame, they have to leave Cleveland because Cleveland's basically losers. And he talked about how Odell Beckham Jr. had to leave uh, the Cleveland Browns to go over to Los Angeles Rams to win the Super Bowl. How LeBron James won a NBA championship for Cleveland, but then left Cleveland. They talked about how even the Browns had to go to Baltimore to win a championship. So, I mean, again, Miz completely just crapped on Cleveland. But that's all the segment was, just basically trying to give Miz another another reason for people to hate the Miz. Anyway, after this tag team matchup, the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, going against Tommaso Ciampa and NXT champion Braun Breaker. This would be Breaker's uh, debut on Monday Night Raw. Tommaso and Braun would win the match by pinfall when Braun hits his Gorilla Press Power Slam on Dolph for the win. After the match, Dolph would get on the microphone and congratulate Braun for his win. He mentioned that tomorrow night on NXT in their triple threat match for the NXT Championship, when Braun has his back turned and starts facing Chapa, that's when Dolph was going to strike and take the NXT Championship away from him and add it to his big trophy room. So we will see what happens on the next night on NXT, but I'll get to that later. After this, we had Omos going against Apollo Crews, who had Commander Aziz in his corner. Omos wins the match by pinfall when he double choke slams Apollo for the win. After the match, Commander Aziz will get in the ring to see how Apollo was feeling, and then Omos will look at Aziz. And then you had this face-off between these two big men, but Omos is a little bit bigger than Commander Aziz and built and also in, like, height. And Omos just turned around and walked away and smiled at Aziz. As you saw, Aziz had some fear in his face. So this tells you who's the bigger man without even them touching each other. Omos has complete physical and mental, like, edge over Commander Aziz. But you know they're two going to probably battle each other. That's the way WWE and uh, wrestling kind of goes anyway. Anyway, after this, we had Edge in-ring promo. And Edge comes out, like, I'm not even going to say Taker S, but he had the old WWE, like, Undertaker, like, purple, like, lighting coming out. He had the purple spotlight coming out. He comes out in a black suit. He walks in the ring. He doesn't say nothing for a minute. And then he's first words are, you think you know me. Then Edge goes into why he did what he did to AJ last week. He mentions how what he did to AJ was basically to help AJ because he doesn't want the soft AJ. He wants that fresh tearing of skin put pit bull that AJ was basically when he got into WWE in 2016. And Edge mentioned that. While helping AJ out last week, AJ helped him out because by cracking AJ in the head with a chair, he let out the real edge. The edge that Edge hasn't really even seen himself. A new self for Edge. This side of Edge allows him to control himself in the ring and basically just controls himself in general. And he has control of the entire wrestling industry. He knows what's going to happen next. He knows what to do next. All that good stuff. So... This whole problem was basically saying we are seeing a new version of Edge. It was good, but I mean, uh, I couldn't do without it, let's be honest. After this, we had Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan going against Queen 
Zelina and Carmella, and the condition was this, for this match was if Rhea and Liv were to win, they would get added to the women's uh, World Tag Team Championship match at Mania. So basically, it would be a triple threat match of Sasha, Naomi going against Queen Selena and Carmella going against Rhea and Liv Morgan. That's only if Rhea and Liv won. They do win by pinfall when Carmella neglects Selena and starts talking to her fiance, Corey Graves, at commentary. And then Selena gets hit with the code breaker by Liv Morgan and then a riptide by Rhea Ripley for the win. So it will be a triple threat match at Mania for the Women's Tag Team Championships. After this, we have Finn Balor going against Austin Theory. Finn will win the match by disqualification when Finn was on the top turnbuckle looking at the coup de grace. But Damian Priest pops up out of nowhere, and he's on the ring apron. He grabs Finn by the throat, throws him off the uh, turnbuckle onto the ropes. The referee calls for the bell, and then you get Damian get in the ring. He hits the razor's edge on Finn. He looks at Finn's body, then he kind of glances at Mania for a minute. The mania sign in the sky, and then he looks back at Finn, and then he just walks away. So you kind of can tell they want Damien to go against Finn at Mania, but we'll see if they actually announce it. They haven't announced it yet, but we'll see where if they do. But then after this attack was done, you will see Austin Theory get back in the ring, and he grabs Finn. He puts him on his shoulder and hits the A-Town down, and then he starts taking selfies of Finn's lifeless body on the ring mat. After this, we get our final moment on Raw, and it was Kevin Owens going inside the ring, and he grabs a microphone, and he's about to lay out how what he needs to do to get on Mania, and he says, you know what? He isn't going to have a match at Mania, but he's going to have the Kevin Owens show at Mania, and he wants to have the perfect guest because he knows who his guest is going to be. And he talks about how he starts going down Texas legends that have been calling him out lately on social media, but they're not worth his time. He talks about how JBL isn't worth his time. He talks about Booker T isn't worth his time and how Shawn Michaels isn't worth his time. But he mentions that he has the perfect guest because this guest embodies the whole state of Texas, which is crappy. And he talks about Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is a thing that's been built up on the internet for the past weeks. People thought that Steve Austin was going to come out for a match against Kevin Owens. But that isn't happening. We're more or less going to get Kevin Owens and Steve Austin have a little talking segment at Mania, and then it's going to turn into a brawl. Stone Cold's going to stun Kevin Owens. That's ultimately going to happen at Mania. But after that, I don't know where we're leading off with Kevin Owens. I don't. I understand this is a one-off deal, and Kevin Owens is a big fan of Austin. Austin gave him advice like in his independent days to tell him to keep running his mouth. And that's what Kevin Owens has been doing ever since the independence all the way to now. So that has been a big influence on Kevin Owens. I just don't know what we're going to do with Kevin Owens literally after Mania. That's just my big fear for Owens. This is a great moment. It's going to be a great payday, hopefully. But what do we do with Kevin Owens after Mania? That's still to be left uh, up in the air. But anyway, that was Monday Night Raw. It was a good show. Now it's time for NXT. And before I get into the match results, let me give you guys just a couple pieces of information. Next week, there will be qualifying matches to determine who will be in the in North American Championship ladder match at Stand and Deliver. And that ladder match is going to be Carmelo going against four other guys. So it's basically five-man ladder match. And the first match that they do announce it will be next week. It will be Cameron Grimes going against Santos Escobar to see who will be qualifying into that ladder match. As well as NXT UK wrestler A Kid will be coming over from uh, Europe 
over into America to basically be now part of the NXT roster in America. So it shows me that NXT UK is basically their developmental, like developmental, developmental, before you get to the developmental in WWE, which is really weird to me, but like, all right, cool. And then also, uh, the Creed Brothers doesn't get their tag team title match tonight. They get attacked in the parking lot. We don't see who attacked them. We just see the aftermath of it. And MSK basically take their spot. So MSK will be going against Imperium for the NXT Tag Team Championships tonight. And throughout the whole night, we were playing a game of who done it with tag teams basically questioning other tag teams about seeing who took out uh, Creed Brothers in the parking lot. I have my speculations on that, but I'll get to it after the tag team matchup. Anyway, first match of the night was the semifinals of the Women's Daz Dusty Tag Team Classic. It is Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu going against Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade. Uh, Dakota Kai and Wendy will win the match by pinfall when Dakota will hit the running uh, corner kick on Raquel Gonzalez. Then Wendy Chu will hit her body splash and then Dakota will hit the double foot stomp on Raquel for the win. However, earlier in the match, we would see Gigi Dolan hit Raquel Gonzalez's knee with a steel pipe. And that kind of took Raquel Gonzalez out of the match, but she still wanted to be a part of it to not leave Cora just by herself. And we would see what happened with Cora later in the night to kind of get revenge on Toxic Attraction, but I'll get more into that in a minute. After this matchup, we will have Tiffany Stratton going against Fallon Henley. Uh, Fallon will win the match by pinfall thanks to an attack by Saray. Um, Towards the end of the match, there was a miss appearing at the entrance ramp, and everybody was distracted by the miss. You had Fallon distracted, the referee distracted, the crowd distracted, and also Tiffany Stratton uh, distracted. And Tiffany was already, like, beat up a little bit. She was already leaned up to, on the bottom rope, and everybody was distracted by this mist, and while that everybody was distracted, Saray popped up out of nowhere and just drop kicked uh, Tiffany Stratton behind the head, and with this distraction happening, and with that happening, Fallon took full advantage of uh, Stratton being in pain. Fallon then decided to hit a Shining Wizard on Tiffany for the win, and then we get informed that next week, it will be Tiffany Stratton going against Saray. So we're going to finally get that matchup between these two because last week, Tiffany attacked Saray backstage. And so Saray just basically just paid a debt or gave a receipt back to Tiffany Stratton. So we're going to see what they do with uh, both of these women after this. After this matchup, we had our last man standing match. LA Knight going against Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller will win the match when Grayson would hit uh, Knight with a black object in his face that he had in his pocket all night. They never announced what that black object was, but it looked like something that you probably could get off of a chair, a hard material like the um chair arm covering. And anyway, he then will put LA Knight on the announce table. Waller would then get back in the ring, go to the top turnbuckle, hit jump off and deliver his elbow drop onto Knight and crash through the table. Then as the ref started to count and both men were down, Waller started to crawl over to his bodyguard and start getting on his bodyguard's back to get onto his feet. And that's how Waller basically won because technically he was on his feet. So Waller wins the last man standing match. They went through a lot of punishment. Uh, Waller got put through a table by LA Knight in this matchup when LA Knight would catch, her, would, uh, catch Waller trying to do his rolling stunner. But he caught him, lifted him up, throw him out of the ring through a table. Sangha tried to uh, interfere earlier in the night, but 
LA Knight would take out Sunga, handcuff him around the ring pole. So Sunga was kind of basically not able to do nothing. It was a uh not a brutal, brutal last man standing match as you would see like on the main roster and everything else, but it was still a quality last man standing match between Knight and Waller. I don't know where this leaves LA Knight. I know with Waller, he's probably gonna have some type of like big thing to do as stand and deliver. I don't know what it is yet. But with this type of momentum that Waller has now, there's no way you're going to let it fizzle out. So we'll just see where they leave uh, with Waller next. But with Knight, I probably see him going to the main roster. He's main roster ready. Uh, that's where I see it. After this, we have our semifinals of the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic of Io Sarai and Kaylee Ray going against Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro. Io and Kaylee Ray will win the match by pinfall when Kaylee Ray will hit the KLR bomb on Casey. And then Io Shirai would hit her patented moonsault on Casey for the win. And now we will get our finals happening more or less probably next week on NXT of Io and Kaylee Ray going against Wendy Chu and Dakota Kai. And remember, the winner of the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic will get a NXT Women's Tag Team Championship opportunity at Toxic Attraction, and more or less probably a stand and deliver. After the match, we would see Cora Jade get in the ring. Well, not in the ring. She would get up on the Toxic Attractions, like, perch where Mandy Rose was watching this match and start attacking Mandy Rose because she thinks, probably thinks Mandy Rose put up Gigi Dolan and JC Jade to attack uh, Raquel Gonzalez earlier in the night. We'll just have to see, but more or less, we're probably going to get Cora Jade going against Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship as standard deliver. That's where I see this happening. After this, it's now time for the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup. MSK going against Imperium. They have a good tag team matchup, but it ends in a no contest when the Creed Brothers come out and attack both teams. The Creed Brothers will come out. They're still bandaged up, and they will attack both MSK and Imperium. So more or less, probably a standard deliver. We're going to run it back, and we're going to get a triple threat match. It's going to be MSK going against Imperium, going against the Kree Brothers, and that's where the Kree Brothers are going to win the NXT Tag Team Championships. And I think MSK probably took out uh, the Kree Brothers. You might say, why MSK? Because MSK benefited. They quickly popped in and say, yep, we're next to go after those tag titles. And they even said in their promo, after we beat you guys, we're going to give the Kree Brothers the opportunity that you guys didn't give them. Imperium denied attacking MSK, Legata de Fantasma denied attacking MSK, and they said, shoot, we want everybody to know when we attack you. So, MSK was the only people that really took advantage of this opportunity. So, sometimes the culprit's always in your face, and we just look at everybody else because it's just too easy. This one is easy. MSK did it. I see it. I hope that that's where they're leading with this, because if not, you better be debuting a new tag team or something. Literally, you better be debuting a new tag team. But if you don't, MSK needs to be the guys that took out the Kree brothers. Literally. Because they upset. Because ever since they lost the NXT Tag Team Championships, they haven't been getting on their right rhythm. Yes, they found their bro, Shaman Riddle. But Riddle got their, Riddle got his Raw Tag Team titles back. MSK didn't get their NXT titles back. And MSK thinks they probably got to go a different way. They're always taking that chill, relaxed, kickback uh, style. They want to learn under Riddle. Riddle's learning under Randy. Come on now. It's not that hard to easily sync this thing together. But we'll see what NXT decides to do. Now it's time for the main event. Triple threat match for the NXT Championship. 
champion Braun Breaker defending it against both Dolph Ziggler and Tommaso Ciampa. Dolph Ziggler would win the match by pitfall thanks to his partner Robert Roode when Tommaso was looking to hit Braun with the running knee strike, but then Roode would pull Braun out of the ring. And this left Tommaso in the ring by himself. And then as soon as he turned around, he got hit by a super kick by Dolph Ziggler. And then Dolph covers Tommaso for the win. And now we have a new NXT champion, Dolph Ziggler. And the funny thing is Dolph did not pin Braun Breaker. And he pinned the other guy, Tommaso, to win the NXT championship. So you know what's going to happen. At Stand and Deliver is going to be Dolph Ziggler going against Braun Breaker for the NXT championship. The guy that he never beat. So, it's funny to me. I thought about it, and people were tweeting it out on Twitter. Dolph Ziggler is the, probably the first and only guy to that's going to ever hold the World Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship, and NXT Championship. That's one. And two, Dolph did his career in backwards. Because people usually start at the developmental, then they win the developmental title, go up to the main roster, win the secondary title, win the world title. They said Dolph did it backwards. He won the World Heavyweight title, won the United States Championship, then win the NXT Championship. I found it a funny, like, tweet. But here's the deal. Dolph did do something that I don't think a lot of people do, unless you're, like, in your old, old stage and you're trying to help build up a brand. You have a seasoned wrestler win your developmental title, and they just basically carry that promotion on their back until a younger guy comes out and take the title away from them. I think that's what we're doing with Dolph. He's carrying NXT until stand and deliver. But here's my problem with it, though. Dolph Ziggler is beloved by the wrestling wrestling fans. And I mean, the guys that have been watching Dolph since he's gotten into WWE as the Dolph Ziggler character. And he's always been able to perform and do great matches on the main roster. We all know it. He's literally a version of Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels combined together, but without the winning attributes of either men. He just has the athleticism of both guys, and he always makes his opponents look good. That's probably was his, a downfall to the career of Dolph Ziggler, and that's weird. You would think making your opponent look good would put you in the higher echelon with people and make them want to say, you know, he should be in the main event, but I digress. They don't want to do that. That's weird, but odd, but I digress. Dolph Ziggler is going to be carrying his NXT title for what? We only got three weeks until Stand and Deliver. That's weird. If you're going to do that, you should have did that probably around January. Let him have this couple of months as NXT champion, and then bang, uh, he was going to lose it to Braun Breaker. But I understand you guys didn't think that long ways. You guys just move as the tide shift, and you guys try to figure out how to create a better uh storyline or a better viewing experience for the audience for make people want to go back to the product. I understand that. Cool with that. I just think you guys should have did it like earlier, earlier. If you guys were gonna do this with Dolph, sure you could have had Dolph basically interrupt the, the whole Braun Breaker's winning process of his title reign from uh February all the way to stand and deliver and have Braun and Dolph go at it at stand and deliver. But hey, you want to give Dolph the NXT Championship, let him hold it for three weeks, and then Braun take it from him and let Braun have a big feel-good moment in front of a live audience, a big live audience. Now, the NXT live audience is in Florida, but a live audience on the road, as in at people at a WrestleMania weekend, that's cool, that's fine, that's cool. 
I just wish you guys would have just figured this out earlier. But hey, as I said before, you guys are working with live television. You guys got to constantly move and do different things. So I give NXT a lot of leeway on this. And this is basically going to be intrigue because a main event roster guy, or main roster guy, not if you will, not main event. Dolph used to be main event, but they don't see him that no more. A main roster guy holding your championship and doing this. Hey, that's cool with me. That's fine. I just want to see what type of interesting storylines we're going to get from this. But anyway, NXT, great show. Now on to AEW Dynamite. And before I get into the results of Dynamite, we do know that Swerve Strickland will be wrestling on Rampage this week against Tony Nese. Also, in Dynamite this week, they got a backstage segment with FTR and Tully Blanchard. And they were asking Dax Hardwood about his little thing with Red Dragon and the Young Bucks because the Red Dragon cost him the opportunity to be in the uh, match at Revolution whenever they kicked off uh, Dax out of the tag team battle royal and also the casino, uh, their other stuff to qualify matches. They basically said, we're going to go at the Young Bucks, we're going to go at Red Dragon because this is personal and all this type of stuff. Totally trying to stop him and say, listen, hey, well, you guys brought me on to be your consultant, your manager. You guys followed my instruction. It was all about championships. It was all about this and that. It was never personal. We always would have the titles. We need to go back to that. And you see Dax grabbed Totally said, this is all about family. And, and I got to tell my little girl what it means to be a person in this world, to always stand up for yourself and go after what you want. So you then you get this dispute between Dax and Tully. And then you get Cash stepping in. And he pulls Dax off of Tully, and then he looks at Tully and said, listen, this is about family business right now, and you're not family. You're fired. So FDR has fired Tully Blanchard, so now this creates an interesting little situation within the pinnacle, because now Tully's been fired by FDR, but is he still with Sean Spears? But I'll get more into that whenever I talk about Warlow, because Warlow has an in-ring segment on Dynamite, and I'll get more into that when it's time for me to talk about it. But anyway, let me start off with Dynamite. Uh, we have Chris Jericho walking out to in for an in-ring promo. He starts off by saying that he uh, wrestled Kingston at Revolution, and that was one of his greatest matches that he's had. And as a matter of fact, he goes down to say that's the greatest match that he has had in AEW, and he wants to thank Kingston. And he wants to thank Kingston for waking up a part of Jericho that he thought that he lost. And Jericho mentioned that he was frustrated after losing to Kingston and that's the reason why he didn't shake Kingston's hand, and he wants to come out to tell Kingston that he respects him and wants to shake Kingston's hand. So he calls out Kingston. Kingston comes out. Kingston talks about many people at FanFest, and the people that he met told Kingston that they wanted to end themselves, but they didn't because they read Kingston's Players' Tribune article, and Kingston talked about how Revolution wasn't about Kingston. It wasn't about Jericho. It was about those fans that he met at FanFest, and he did that for them, and he hoped that he did them proud. And that Kingston then mentioned that Jericho didn't shake Kingston's hand because Jericho is missing something in himself, and he hopes that Jericho found what he was missing. Jericho then tells Kingston that he has all the respect for Kingston and that Kingston has his respect. So he extends his hand out to Kingston. Kingston hesitates at Jericho, and he says, Are you sure? We're good. You know this? And then... Kingston extends his hand out. They shake hands. And you think this is a feel-good moment, right? Wrong. You hear 2.0 music come hit, and they come walking out, and Dale Garcia starts walking out to the ring, too. They surround the ring, they enter the ring, and they attack 
Kingston, and they just push over Jericho. You see them pummel up on Kingston, and then you start seeing one member of 2.0 walk over to Jericho, put their knee on Jericho, and that's about it. And then you see Santana Ortiz running down to the ring. And then you see Ortiz carrying the bat, running down to the ring. 2.0 is able to leave the ring, but Santana was able to grab Diego Garcia and start punching on Garcia. Then you see Santana hold Garcia up so Jericho can hit Garcia with the bat. And this is where it turns. Jericho doesn't hit Garcia with the bat. Oh, no, he hits Santana with the bat. And then he tags Ortiz with the bat. And then you see 2.0 get in the ring. And they look at Jericho, and Diego Garcia looks at Jericho, but then they did quickly go back to beating down on Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. And now you got all four men pummeling on these three guys. Then you see Jake Hager come running down to the ring, and he asks Jericho, what's he doing? Jericho tells Hager he has to pick a side, and Hager ends up joining Jericho, and they all just start beating up on Santana, and Ortiz, and Kingston. Ultimately, 2.0 grabs the uh, ring announcer's task, well, their table, Bring it close to the ring. Hager powerbombs Kingston onto the table. Uh, Hager and Jericho take off their inner circle biker jackets. They put it on Santana Ortiz's laid out bodies. And then you get Jericho bringing in 2.0, Dale Garcia, and Jake Hager around him. And he says, this is the Jericho Appreciation Society. And that's what you call entertainment. And then he does what he usually does. He sticks out the middle finger, and then he has the rest of them throw out the middle finger as well. Basically, the same way that they ended AEW Dynamite, the first episode is the same way that we open up this way. A new faction has been born, and I don't like the name. Jericho Appreciation Society, that sounds whack. It's ugh. I hope they get a better name. I really do, because that's too long of a name. They might try to short it out to JAS, but nah. That name's garbage. <laughs> Complete garbage. Get a better name. I did like, though, however, I did like how Jericho, in their uh, hard camera, hard camera is usually the camera that is always in the middle of the ring that keeps focus of every all the action going around and literally inside the ring. That's hard camera. The one that pay attention close, that they pay attention to a lot to, by the way. You had all of them sticking up the bird, and then in the shot, I don't know how Jericho was able to see it. He noticed that everybody wasn't in the shot. So he had his baseball bat, and he started trying to pulling Daniel Garcia closer into the shot without people, like, noticing it. And I noticed that, and I saw that. I was like, ah, Jericho's good. So if you guys going to complain about Jericho, and I understand it, Jericho probably doesn't uh, fit in with a lot of people's belief systems and all that good stuff. I get it. You guys don't like Jericho for a lot of reasons. I get it. But you got to respect the master craftsmanship that Jericho does pull off especially in those little nuances, like trying to make sure everybody's in the shot and not just a couple guys, you know, pull everybody in. That's what you have a veteran like Jericho in your company for, to get those little nuances on your television screen. Anyway, after this segment was done, we have our first match of the night, and it's for the AEW World Championship. We had Hangman defending the world title against Dante Martin. Hangman will win the match by pinfall when he hits the buckshot lariat for the win. Uh, it was a good match for Dante Martin to again showcase himself. They've been building up Dante Martin literally for a whole entire year. I believe they mentioned it, what, last week? How Darius Martin was basically took out a year ago. And that Dante Martin was all by himself. He had to do, basically get into singles competition. And he had a uh, 
really showcasing a match against Kenny Omega last year, too. And it was Kenny and the Young Bucks going against, I believe, the Seidel brothers and Dante Martin last year. Dante was basically showcasing for a whole entire year what he could do. So this was basically his reward for being by yourself and showcasing that you could be by yourself. And he got an AEW World title match. And I wasn't mad at that. And as well, after the match, you had Hangman being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. Hangman calls Dante Martin back in the ring. And he gives him props for being by himself for a whole entire year. Basically, the exact same thing I just said. And that's what this whole match was for. Basically, to give Dante something because Dante was able to hold his own. Then you see Adam Cole coming out. He's out here being a hater. He tells Hangman that he got a fluke win over him at Revolution and that it won't happen again next time these two meet. And then you get Adam Cole challenging Hangman to a tag team match. Well, a six-man tag team match next week. Cole mentioned that he has partners that are two guys that know Hangman better than Hangman knows himself. And they're two young guys. So you know the implication that uh, Hank, that Cole is throwing out here. Cole says that he's going to make Hangman's life a living hell until he hears and new AEW World Champion. He throws his hands up in the air and lets the crowd does the Adam Cole Bay Bay chant. Later tonight, we get a backstage segment with the Dark Order. And then you see Hangman walk up on the Dark Order. And he's there to apologize to Alex Reynolds for pushing Alex at Revolution. And he didn't mean to because he was in the heat of the moment. The Dark Order, not Alex Reynolds, but the whole entire Dark Order says that's okay. Dark Order is trying to, like, make sure and reassure Hangman that everything's okay. While Alex Reynolds isn't looking at Hangman. He has his arms crossed. He's just looking somewhere else. He ain't even trying to even feel out Hangman. John Silver asks Hangman, Who's his partner is going to be for next week's six-man uh, tag team matchup? They insist it being someone from the Dark Order, a different combination from the Dark Order. But Hangman lets them know, hey, listen, I just kind of walked past Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, and they said they want to get their hands back on the Young Bucks. So I kind of told them that, yeah, they're my partners next week. I'm sorry. And he says, I'm sorry to the Dark Order. And Dark Order says, hey, that's okay. That's okay. And you could tell there's going to be some more dissension between Dark Order members, uh, Reynolds, and matter of fact, the whole entire Dark Order and Heyman, because Heyman just uses the Dark Order whenever he decides to want to throw out the card for the Dark Order. And if I had to put some money down on it, I think the Dark Order is going to be the reason why Heyman loses the belt. Because think about it. Dark Order has a lot of members, and then that will increase the, well, the feeling for uh, Heyman to try to go through that whole Dark Order uh, group to get back to their top leader and beat them and now give Hangman enough time to build up credibility again and then probably even gain some allies on the on the path of him beating up the Dark Order. I see that's where they're headed with this. I just want to see what type of story they're going to lead into it. Is Reynolds going to be the reason why Hangman loses the belt? Is John Silver going to reason be the reason why? Or is it going to be a mysterious member of the Dark Order? Because remember, right now, Dark Order is kind of just wandering around. They follow Hangman, but the way the Hangman is going, Dark Order needs a leader. I'm just going to be blunt with you. I know they don't want to say, oh, we don't need a leader. Brody Lee was our leader. I respect that. Brody Lee will always be your number one leader. But as a guy that watches wrestling, that doesn't always stand true a lot of the time. You're going to have to have a leader for, uh, leading a group around. And right now, they have nobody. 
So I feel that we're going to get a main roster type guy, somebody that got fired from WWE, get pulled into Dark Order, and be their leader. Right now, I'm still holding out hope for Bray Wyatt. I really am because that will only make the most logical sense. And that will literally, I believe the whole entire wrestling community will be okay with it. I think Dark Order will be okay with it because Brody was so close to Bray. I think uh, Brody Lee's wife and all of them will be okay with it. I mean, it just makes sense. But we'll see what AEW does with that. We then get another backstage segment later on in the night of Adam Cole with Red Dragon to one side, Young Bucks to the other side. Cole mentions that his partners live rent-free in Hangman's head and they know how to throw a party. He still plays onto the trope that he's going to uh, choose the Young Bucks. So the Matt has to tell Adam Cole, listen, I told you, this thing between you and Paige, we don't want to be anywhere a part of that. So we're not going to be your partners. Cole then looks at Matt. You know, I wasn't going to pick you guys as my partners. I actually was going to pick Red Dragon. And Cole was going to pick Young Bucks, but Matt had to stop him in his tracks. And Adam Cole looks a lot pissed and a whole lot of just angry when he leaves. So this tells you just bring more dissension between Red Dragon and Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. This is going to be complete dissension. And it's going to be the Young Bucks being by themselves waiting for Kenny Omega to come back as Adam Cole and Red Dragon is basically going to be taken over and wrecking shop. I see that's exactly where we're headed with that in this whole little main event uh, for the World Side of Warfare. This is basically where we're headed to. Anyway, after this, we have a tag team uh, match. The Workhorsemen, Anthony Henry and J.D. Drake, going against the newly fresh team of John Moxley and Brian Danson with Sir Lordship, William Regal in their corner. Moxley and Danielson win the match by submission when Brian makes J.D. Drake tap out to the LaBelle lock. But on the outside of the ring, you see John Moxley hit the paradigm shift on Anthony Henry. So that was cool. After the match, you see all men get in the ring. You see Regal, Moxley, Danielson get in the ring. Tony Schiavone gets in the ring. And Regal mentions that it's been 29 years since him and Schiavone has been in this ring together. And that he wants to thank Shivani literally publicly because Shivani helped out Regal in more ways than Shivani knows. And Regal starts tearing up a little bit. And then Regal gets down to business about why he's here. He mentions that for the last two months, he's been checked out of the business that he's been in for the last 30 years. Because his last job apparently doesn't need him anymore. A.K.A. WWE firing him. A.K.A. you fumbled the bag again, WWE. Regal says that he got word that Brian mentioned his name and that made him tune in to AEW. Regal says that he's known Brian for the last 21 years and once he heard that a good friend like Brian was mentioning him, he had to tune in. Regal says that Brian and him go back, well, obviously 21 years and that Brian will always stay with Regal after a trading seminar every single day for basically three in the afternoon to 12 at midnight, and they will just talk about it, and that's when the real learning will begin. And ultimately, Regal says that Brian is the perfect wrestler. He is everything Regal was supposed to be, but the demons got in Regal's way. And then that's whenever he turns to Moxley, and I thought, Moxley is everything my demons were. I thought that's where he was going, but I can get the implication where this kind of thing is basically going with. Moxley's the demon, while... Brian is the perfect. So you get the perfect match of good and that evil, and you're going to get this whole yin-yang mashup, and Regal just basically going to manage 
both of these guys. That's basically what he was basically saying here, if we're going to be honest. Because the next statement that Regal said was that Regal says that Moxley is the utmost, most violent person, and he's the reason why they're there. These two are the reason why Regal is here. Regal is here to manage these two, and he tells the teams in the back that they will be defeated going against these two, and that they can either step up or they can get stepped on. Regal is so happy to be in AEW because when Brian came out with his entrance, Regal followed Brian down to the ring. And Regal was walking down the ring. You can start seeing him get a small little glimpse of smile on his face. And then he got down to the ring. And Brian starts walking up to the uh, turnbuckle. The camera stayed on Regal. And he starts cracking a little bit of a smile. So Regal's happy to be back in, a, in wrestling just in general. But him on television, I am completely happy to see Regal back. Because you know what? When I heard that Regal got fired from NXT, I thought, how could you fire Regal? Regal is literally, everybody loves Regal. Everybody loves Regal. It just didn't make sense for WWE to fire him. But hey, you guys fumbled it. AEW picked it up and said, ooh, I know what to do. We're going to have him manage Brian Danielson and Moxley. This is an easy, easy pickup. This was, oh my God. I'm glad that Tony Khan and AEW does what they got to do. Hey, we might have a big expanding roster, but guess what? We have enough time to get almost everybody that we need to. And if we don't, we'll get you on our YouTube shows. And then if not that, we still have Ring of Honor now. Because by the way, Tony Khan did mention that he's going to be booking Ring of Honor. So Ring of Honor is going to be a constant thing. So we're probably going to get uh, AEW stars that we don't see on television popping on Ring of Honor in some capacity. But that's whatever that happens down the line. I'm just saying I'm happy to see Regal back on television. Now, WWE fumbled that colossally. Anyway, after this, we would get Wheeler Yuta with the best friends and Dan Housen in his corner going against Pac, who had Penta and Alex Abrahantes in his corner. Pac would win the match by submission when he locks in the Brutalizer, or better known as the Ring of Saturn for a lot of people, for the win. And that's it for this. After this, we had the AHFO uh, family meeting, and it's basically Andrade, Matt Hardy, the Butcher and the Blade, Private Party, and Jose, uh, Andrade's personal assistant, in the ring. And the main concept of this is basically to say, to see if Matt Hardy's going to be still in the AHFO. They do a vote. Andrade decides to kick him out. Uh, Jose wants to kick him out. Matt Hardy says for him to stay. He has a Private Party basically vote for him to stay, and then Matt like kind of chastise Andrade says, see, my kids were never going to vote me out. How stupid could you be? And then Andrade tells him, are you sure about that? And then as Andrade's talking, you start seeing private parties start flipping their thumbs from a yes to a no. And then you start hearing the fans start hearing like, ooh. And then you see Matt Hardy slowly turn around. He gets shocked by seeing the thumbs down from private party. Matt Hardy thinks, asks him, what are you doing? And then he gets attacked from Andrade from behind. And now you get a whole beatdown. Matt Hardy's getting beat down by everybody. And then we see Sting and Darby Allen come out. They come out to make the rescue for Matt, but it's still outnumbered. It's still about a good, what, six guys to three? That all changes when Jeff Hardy comes out. They have the old WWF Team Extreme music hits, which I was shocked to hear the and that on AEW television, I swear to God, I was shocked. I thought we were going to hear some new music from Jeff Hardy because Jeff is in a band. But 
Once I heard the WWF, like, Hardy music, I was shocked to death. Jeff comes out, but before he literally, like, runs down to the ring, he still has to do his whole entrance gyration deal. He runs down to the ring, and everybody basically leaves out of the ring except for the Blade. Blade takes all the punches from everybody. He eats a swanton bomb and also a twist of fate. And then you see Matt and Jeff hug each other up. And then we have a little stare down between the Hardy Boys and Sting and Darby Allen. And so this could tell you where this is going to get funny. The Hardy Boys are going to be a team here in AEW. Good job. And I want to see where this is going to lead with Darby and Sting because Darby has the recklessness style of a Jeff Hardy. Without a doubt. But he has the face paint of Sting, but I mean, he's a crossbreed of Sting and Jeff. It's going to be really interesting to see Jeff Hardy and Darby Allin like, like interact in AEW. It's going to be crazy because that's been speculated for years since Darby hit the main screen. They said, oh, it's Sting. And people would say, oh, he has the recklessness of a Jeff Hardy, which is both true. It's just going to be fun to see now you got Sting and Jeff Hardy. Are we going to see Jeff? Try to talk to Darby Allen a lot. Or are we going to see Sting kind of step in and say, listen, we don't need any of your bad traits onto this guy. I don't know where we're going with this. But again, glad Jeff Hardy's on AEW. AEW just picking up a lot of people. It is great to see and see them being used. It's great and awesome. Anyway, after this, we get our Warlow in-ring promo. Warlow talks about why he turned his back on MGF at Revolution. And he mentions that he's still under contract with MGF. Warlow mentions that he was wasting his time trying to help MGF accomplish his goals for the past three years. And he mentions that MGF kind of uh, sealed his doom for him whenever he slapped uh, Warlow last week and sealed his fate. So if MGF didn't slap Warlow, we probably wouldn't have seen. We probably would have seen Warlow. How about MGF like he's dead all this time? But that slap really woke up Warlow. It made Warlow decide to, you know what? Even though I'm under contract with Max, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm tired. I don't care. I don't care what they're going to do. But Warlow now has a guaranteed TNT championship opportunity next week. So what's going to happen? I don't know. Warlow announces that he's no longer MGF bodyguard and that he isn't a part of the pinnacle and that he wants Max to basically tear up that uh, bodyguard agreement, that contract that Warlow has with him, which is a stupid thing because you know Max isn't going to do that. Max is going to make your life hell, buddy. Um, Yeah, that's going to start next week. Warlow isn't winning that TNT title next week. I put, I could put my whole entire savings on it if I were to be honest with you. We all know Warlow isn't winning that. Max is going to make him hell. Let's be honest. But this does set up an interesting uh situation here. As I said, the pinnacle is MJF, Sean Spears, FTR, and not Warlow anymore. So more or less, as I said before, I think we're going to have Brian Cage take over that spot because Brian Cage is a perfect, uh, perfect body part to be put into that position for Warlow. Literally, he's perfect for it. Um, but it creates an interesting dynamic because the pinnacle hasn't been the pinnacle for a long time. As a matter of fact, the last time they were the pinnacle, literally the pinnacle was whenever what? In January, when MGF and FTR went against Punk and Darby and Sting in the six-man tag match? I mean, like, literally. Think about it. The Pinnacle hasn't been the Pinnacle as a whole entire unit unit. But since then, and then the last time they were a unit was whenever they had to go against the Inner Circle. So, I mean, 
come on, let's be honest here. This seemed like the Pinnacle was a big opportunity, and that was another one that AEW just fumbled. Because the Pinnacle were literally guys that were, like, categorized to be the guys to take over the Four Horsemen spot. No matter what nobody wants to say, and people will say, Gerald, everybody thought about it too much. No. The Pinnacle were supposed to take over the Four Horsemen spot in wrestling. You had MJF, who was the leader, who could talk his butt off. He wasn't, he wasn't Ric Flair, for God's sakes, but he was a great perfect figurehead for the pinnacle in this new revamp of Four Horsemen. You had FTR who played the Tully and Art Anderson part perfectly because they studied them and they're great in the ring. You had Sean Spears being uh, Barry Windham type ass because Sean Spears can go in the ring. He can do everything that you want him to do. You know he's not going to be the main event guy, but he's a great wrestler. And Warlow, he's the future. You know what the time is. He goes in there, he beats up on people, he wrecks shop, and that's about it. But it seems to me everything's just been going completely downhill with the pinnacle. Yes, FTR has the AAA tag team titles. Cool. But we don't see FTR like that on television. Now we're going to, hopefully, but we don't see him on television like that. A. B. Uh, Sean Spears. He's been called as the accountability buddy. More or less now, he's probably going to be feuding with Warlow on behalf of MJF, with MJF being in the background, pulling Sean Spears' string and all this type of good stuff. And now with the idea of Tony Blanchard not being with FTR, is Tony Blanchard still in the pinnacle? Is he still with Sean Spears? This is the type of stuff that we're now entering in on AEW, especially with the pinnacle themselves. What is left of the pinnacle? Is the pinnacle even a group anymore? What What is it? Like, seriously, we need to have a definitive answer like next week or two weeks or something. Because I want to know, the Pinnacle was a great idea, great concept, great guys in a group together. But this seems like one of those fumbles. So hopefully we'll get an answer to that in the weeks coming. Anyway, now it's time for the AEW World Tag Team Championship match. The acclaimed going against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, who has Christian Cage in their corner. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy win, win the match by a pinfall when they hit the springboard doomsday device on Anthony Bones for the win. Good tag team matchup. The Florida crowd loves the acclaim. The acclaim's a great uh, team in AEW. The fans all enjoy them, but it's still Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy's time as tag team champions. After this, we have an AEW Women's Championship uh, number one contenders matchup between Layla Hirsch and Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa wins the match by a pinfall. When she is the fire thunder driver on Layla Hirsch for the win. And then after the match, we see Tony Schiavone get up and he announces to Thunder Rosa. He won. He congratulates her for the win. And two, he announces that he got information from Tony Khan that Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker will be wrestling inside a steel cage next week for the AEW Women's Championship. So that tells you where this is leading to next week. Thunder Rosa is winning the belt. Period. Anyway, after this, now it's time for the main event of AEW. TNT Championship matchup. Sammy Guevara going against Scorpio Sky. Sammy Guevara will come into this match still with tape wrapped up around his ribs because, remember, at Revolution, he hit a Spanish fly off of the entrance, like one of their stage screens, and him and Isaiah Cassidy went through a table, so Sammy Guevara is still feeling the weird tears from this. Scorpio Sky is fresh as a daisy, and you know what happens. Scorpio Sky will win the match by pitfall when he hits a TKO on Sammy Guevara. After Sammy got distracted seeing his girlfriend Ty Conti gets shoved into a steel steps by Paige Van Zant. 
He turns around, gets it with TKO, and Sammy Guevara loses the TNT title to Scorpio Sky, and Scorpio is the new champion. After the match, Paige would shove Ty into the ring and hit a roundhouse kick on Ty in the head, and then Paige would get her AEW contract from Dan Lambert. She would sign it on Ty Conte's body, and there you go. Paige Van Zandt is part of the AEW Women's Division. She's a part of AEW. And we have a new TNT champion, Scorpio's guy, who, by God, he deserved it for the love of God. It was literally a whole entire year since he's won the Face of the Revolution ladder match, right? And now he's finally the legit face of the revolution. He's the face of the broadcast. He's the face of the station, Scorpio Sky. So it's a great deal for Scorpio to finally win that championship. Thank God. Also, during the match, we did see Sammy Guevara go through the table, but by his own doing, because he was looking to hit the 630 on Scorpio Sky through a table outside of the ring, but Scorpio moved out of the way, and Sammy would crash through that table. This led to Ty Conte coming down to the ring, so that's the reason why Ty was around the ring. Anyway, Dynamite, great episode. I suggest you to please watch it if you can, but if you don't, just go to YouTube. You'll see the highlights that Dynamite uh, AEW has on their uh, YouTube show, uh, YouTube page. Anyway, great show, great, great show. Now it's time for Impact, and before I get into Impact Wrestling, I want to get into their pay-per-view that they had on Saturday night. Um, the first match they start off was Trey Miguel going against Jake Sunday for the X Division Championship. Trey Miguel will win the X Division Championship. I saw the highlights of the match. It was a great matchup between Trey Miguel and Jake Something. And also, after high, um, sacrifice was done a couple days later, it was announced that Jake Something is now a free agent. So that means he is no longer working with Impact Wrestling, so he can be signed up by any wrestling company that wants to snag him up. Out of this matchup, we had Eddie Edwards going against Rhino. Eddie Edwards will win the match by pinfall. Thanks to Steve Macklin's help because, you know the deal, Honor No More comes out. Then you had Team Impact come out. It was a big uh, brawl at the outside of the uh, ring. The referee was distracted. Steve Macklin got in. He had Eddie Edwards' uh, kendo stick, and it looks like he was going to hit Eddie with it, but he decides to hit Rhino in the back of the head with it. So... Steve Macklin turned his back on Impact. He's not with Honor No More, but he's just a by-himself kind of guy. So with that, Eddie Edwards took advantage of this and hit the Boston Knee Party on Rhino. That's how he won the matchup. After this, it was time for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. The influence, Tennille Dashwood and Madison Rain would defeat the inspiration, Cassie Lee and Jesse McKay to win the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships when Kayla with the K slid in the knockouts tag team titles over to uh, Madison Rain, and Madison hit one of the, I believe it was uh, Cassie with the championship, and that's how the uh, influence won the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. After this, we had Jonah going against PCO. Jonah beat PCO. Two big men just having a big old brawl. It was a real uh, brutal type style. Again, I saw highlights of it. You saw Jonah Tombstone, PCO on uh, steel steps on the outside of the ring. You saw Jonah hit the tsunami and basically to end the matchup. So Jonah got his win back that he was missing since he lost to Josh Alexander at the last uh, their last pay-per-view. And this was a good match between PCO and Jonah from the highlights that I saw. After this, we saw Jay White going against Alex Shelley. 
Uh, Jay White would beat Ali Shelley by pinfall by hitting him with the Blade Runner. They had 20 minutes to wrestle. Again, highlights. Saw what I saw. Good matchup. After this, we had Deanna Perrazzo's open invitational, the champ, champ challenge. Chelsea Green uh, came out. She went against Deanna Perrazzo, and she decided to go after the Ring of Honor World Women's World Championship. Deanna will retain that by making uh, Chelsea Green tap out. After this, we had Tasha Steeles going against Mickey James for the Impact Knockouts Women's Championship. Tasha Steeles would beat Mickey James when she caught Mickey with a cutter and pinned her to now become the new Impact Knockouts World Champion. After this, tag team titles on the line. The Good Brothers going against Valid by Designs on Eric Young and Joe Doring. Eric Young and Joe Doring would defeat the Good Brothers to win the Impact World Tag Team titles when Eric Young and Joe Doring would hit a powerbomb neckbreaker on Carl Anderson in the middle of the ring to win the matchup. After this, the main event, Moose going against Heath for the Impact World Championship. Moose defeated Heath when he hits the spear on Heath to retain his Impact World Championship. However, after the matchup, we would see Josh Alexander burst through the crowd, run into the ring, hit the C4 spike on Moose, and announce that he is back in Impact Wrestling. He has signed a new deal with Impact, and that new deal also does give him a matchup with Moose at their next pay-per-view, which is uh, Rebellion on the 23rd of April for the Impact World Championship. Now, with that being said, let's get into the actual uh, show what happened on Thursday. We do get it. It does get announced because there's a backstage segment like later in the show that uh, next week it will be Deanna Peraza putting up both of her championships, the Ring of Honor Women's Championship and the AAA Reina de Reina's Championship against both Giselle Shaw and Lady Frost in a triple threat match. So that should be a good matchup next week. But anyway, let's start off. The first thing that happens is Josh Alexander comes out for an in-ring promo. He mentioned that it feels good to be back at Impact Wrestling. Josh mentions that he has been obsessed with getting his shot at Moose for the World Championship and that whenever he was home, he had to spend some time with his uh, family and his children to figure out if he would be returning back to Impact. And Josh mentioned how his son would just ask him, when will you get your hands on Moose? So now Josh was able to give his son an answer, and he said on April 23rd at Rebellion for the Impact World Championship. Then Honor No More comes out, and Eddie Edwards is leading the charge. Eddie Edwards does all the talking for them. Eddie mentions how Impact rolled out the red carpet for Josh Alexander on his way back to Impact. Eddie mentions that Josh has been given everything since he has entered Impact. He's been given the keys of the kingdom since he's gotten here. Josh tells Eddie that Eddie's lost his edge. And that he's got complacent. That's the reason why he's hanging around with Honor no more. So Matt Taven ta then takes the microphone away from Eddie Edwards. And tells Josh not to disrespect Eddie like that. And has to give Josh Eddie's resume. He tells him that he's a former two-time Impact World Champion. A former Ring of Honor World Champion. Taven even has to pat himself on the back and says that he's a former World Champion of Ring of Honor himself. And Taven mentions that their reigns didn't end premature in front of their wives josh has a smirk on his face josh says yeah but the difference between you and me was when i was world champion i didn't put my company out of business so you can tell that's always been a thing where the internet has been crapping on taven's like title right because taven held the belt and then when it's taven got the belt it was literally around the time that uh cody the bucks 
were leaving Ring of Honor. So Ring of Honor was already start going on a downslide. Taven just happened to grab the belt at the at the legit wrong time, and that kind of sent Taven and Ring of Honor kind of on a downward uh, that they could have that they could have uh, bounced back from, but like COVID hit it, and that kind of killed all the momentum right there. So it was kind of sticking a knife in them. They were done after that. Anyway, you know the deal. They now are surrounding uh, Alexander. Honor no more surrounding Josh Alexander. And there's a 5-1 beat down. There's no PCO because PCO is still out after. He got beat up by Jonah at the surrender paper. Uh, not surrender, but sacrifice pay-per-view. So it's Eddie Edwards, Kenny King, Matt Taven, Vincent, and Mike Bennett beating up on Josh Alexander. And they continue to do this until Rich Swan, Willie Mack, Rhino, and Heath come to run down to Josh Alexander's rescue. Now it's a brawl between all these guys, and it continues to go down until Scott Demore comes out and gets some order. He announces that in the main event of Impact, it will be Rich Swan going against Eddie Edwards. And right now, Kenny King is going against Willie Mack, and they will have their match right now. He also admits that everybody will be barred from ringside throughout the whole entire matchup. And throughout the whole entire night. So it means Honor No More and Team Impact cannot be around both of those matches. So we start off with Kenny King going against Willie Mack. They have their matchup. Willie Mack wins the match by pitfall when he hits the stunner. Then follow it up with a six-star frog splash for the win. Good match to start off Impact. After this, we have a triple threat match. And the winner will be the number one contender for the X Division Championship at Rebellion. The participants for this matchup are John Schuyler, Crazy Steve, and Ace Austin, who has Madman Fulton in his corner. Ace Austin would win the match by pitfall when Ace Austin hits the fold on Crazy Steve as John Schuyler is holding up Crazy Steve. The way that he hits the fold, it looks nuts because he jumps off the second turnbuckle as uh, Schuyler's holding up Crazy Steve. You gotta look out on YouTube. It's a nice looking maneuver. It looks sick. After this, you had the eight knockouts tag team matchup. It's the influence teaming up with Savannah Evans and Tasha Steeles going against the inspiration and Chelsea Green and Mickey James. Mickey James will win her for her team by pinfall when she hits Tasha Steeles with her DDT for the win. So Mickey James now has a pinfall victory over the new knockouts champion, Tasha Steeles. So you know what this means. We're going to get a rematch. More than likely at Rebellion, Mickey James going against Tasha Steeles. After this, we have Bullet Club coming to the ring, and it's the Good Brothers, Chris Bay and Jay White. They talk about what happened at Sacrifice. The Good Brothers talking about not being the Impact Tag Team Champions anymore, and they start putting everybody on notice, especially Violence by Design, because they want their tag titles back. Jay White's turn to step up to the mic. Jay mentions how he beat his mentor, Alex Shelley, at Sacrifice. And then Jay White decides to call Alex Shelley out here so he could too-sweet him since he walked away from Alex Shelley's hand at Sacrifice. Alex Shelley comes out. He doesn't want to get in the ring with Bullet Club. He talks about his history between him and Jay White. He doesn't call Jay Jay. He calls him Jamie, Jamie White, because that's how long Alex Shelley knows Jay White. He talks about how Jay White, whenever he left Ring of Honor, well, not Ring of Honor, but whenever he went on his excursion from the New Japan Dojo to Ring of Honor, he stayed with Alex Shelley in 20 
16, I believe. And now he made no money in how basically Alex Shelley basically brought up Jay White to be basically become the guy that he had to become until he went to New Japan and he started changing. Alex Shelley knew that Jay White had to change, but he thought that the guy that Jay White changed into, that's specifically for those guys over there. But he thought that he would have some respect for his mentor, his big brother, if you will, Alex Shelley. But Alex Shelley was wrong. Jay White says, you knew me back then, but you don't know me now. Because everything in wrestling goes through me. Jay White said, running through his resume, he's the first ever Grand Slam champion in New Japan. He single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden. You know the you know the attributes that Jay White usually says. Then Alex Shelley has to hit him with a dose of reality. He says that whenever you go back to New Japan and you face off against Okada, know that my handprints is all on him, just like my handprints are on you. When you go to AEW and you see the Young Bucks, a company that's started by the Young Bucks, just know my handprints are all on those guys, just like my handprints are on you. So without me, there would be no Jay White. So then Chris Bay steps up, he grabs the mic away from uh, Jay and tells Alex that he must be stupid talking like this, talking to Jay White in front of everybody, in front of the four most dangerous men in this industry when Alex Shelley's up there just by himself. Alex then has to tell Chris Bay that, you do know I'm in Impact Wrestling, right? So you know, when I'm in Impact, I'm never alone. So then out walks Chris Sabin. And you know what we're about to get, so I'll speed it up for you. Ultimately, we set up a tag team matchup for next week on Impact. It's going to be Chris Bay and Jay White going against the Motor City Machine Guns. And that's your big thing for that. Now it's time for the main event. Eddie Edwards going against Rich Swan. They had a good match back and forth. But Eddie Edwards will win the match by pinfall when Rich Swan misses the Phoenix Splash. And Eddie Edwards then hits him with a big clothesline. Follow it up with the Boston Knee Party, then finishes Rich Swan with the diehard driver for the win. Commentary had Maria also on it, so Maria had to uh, give a little smile and little laugh on whenever Eddie hit the diehard driver because the diehard driver was a finisher that Eddie Edwards would use when he was in Ring of Honor. And he hasn't used that move a lot in Impact, but he's starting to use it back now because remember, He's in a group called Honor No More. Everybody was a former Ring of Honor wrestler, so you kind of get the drift where they're going with this. Anyway, Impact, good show. There's nothing bad for me to say about it. I would highly recommend it. You can watch it on their YouTube. They sporadically put out matches from time to time, but if you want to watch the whole entire show, go to ImpactWrestling.com, and you'll be able to watch the show. Anyway, Impact Wrestling, good show. Now on to SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with Brock Lesnar coming out. And he has his cowboy hat on, but he's not with his cheerful, gleamy self that we've gotten used to this new version of Brock. Brock is looking like the more stoic Brock Lesnar. The reason why is because Brock Lesnar defended his WWE Championship last Saturday in Madison Square Garden. And it was all this rumors and speculation. Who was the mystery WWE Champion going to uh, go against? Well, it turned out to be Austin Theory. Yes, Austin Theory. It was rumored for Cody to show up. Cody didn't show up. So, Brock beats Austin Theory. He retains the championship. And after the match, Roman Reigns and the Bloodline come out to beat up on Brock Lesnar. Brock is bloody. 
uh, Roman urinages him on uh, steel steps that are in the ring. And then the Usos hand him both championships, the Universal and WWE Championship. He gets on the steps, and he's over Brock, and he says, Brock Lesnar, acknowledge me. So, Brock Lesnar is now out here to basically retort to Roman Reigns' attack that happened on Saturday. Brock mentions that Roman drew first blood, and nobody draws first blood on Brock Lesnar and lives to tell the tale. So he starts hyping himself up, and he mentions that he doesn't care about the contract for WrestleMania. He has the WWE Championship. He throws that thing out of the ring, close to the announce table. He says, I don't care about the WWE Championship. He starts calling Roman Reigns out, and he just is in the zone. Roman doesn't come out. Paul Heyman comes out, and Paul tells Brock that he needs to calm down. I know you for years, and if there's anything you do need to do, is calm down, okay? He tells Brock that Roman isn't here tonight, and Paul mentions that he knows Brock better than anybody knows Brock. That's the reason why he has Roman not here. Not for Roman's protection, but for Brock Lesnar's own protection. Brock Lesnar cuts off Paul and tells him, if Roman isn't here, who is going to protect you? So then you start seeing Paul realize exactly what Brock's talking about. Brock leaves the ring, and he starts chasing after Paul. We have never seen Paul Heyman run on television in his current state, and he books it. Paul Heyman runs directly to the back, and he tells security to stop Brock Lesnar. Uh, Security tries their best. They were able to get the job done. I mean, Brock still manhandles security, but they were able to hold off Brock enough that Paul was able to get into a limo, and the limo was able to drive off as Brock was still chasing after him. That will be the first and last time that we would see Brock and Paul Heyman uh, tonight. After this, we had a tag team matchup. It was Big E and Kofi Kingston going against the team of Sheamus, Ridge Holland, and they had a special buddy who was now part of their group. It is the formerly known as Pete Dunne, but now on the WWE main roster, his name is now Butch. I'm getting tired of WWE changing names. I got them giving Walter Gunther. I gave him that. And it's not me saying, oh, me giving him that. No, it's like, okay, cool, fine. You want to give Walter Gunther? Fine, whatever. We're just going to see how this works out. But Pete Dunn, why would you change his name from Pete Dunn to Butch? That don't even work. It don't. Should have kept my man Dunn. You should have just said, here's Dunn. That's it. You can't call him Pete because that's too weird. But like I said, you just could have called him Dunn. You could have called him straight up Pete Dunn or Dunn. I would accept it either one. But Butch? So WWE management, if you happen to hear this, and I know somebody in WWE does because I've been looking at my statistics. There's people in New York and there's people in Florida listening to this. I need you to please change that name to Dunn. Just change it to Dunn. That's all you got to do. Anyway, Shaman is Ridge do win the match by pinfall. Uh, and thanks to a distraction by Pete Dunn. I'm not calling him Butch. When Kofi was on the top rope and Pete gets on the ring apron and distracts Kofi, this allows Sheamus to hit the bro kick on Kofi for the win. And then after the match, you see Pete attack uh, Kofi to the point that Sheamus and Ridge has to pull him off of Kofi. And then you see Pete Dunn go back to attacking Kofi again, and they have to do it again. So this is now your new stable of Sheamus, Ridge, and Pete Dunn, or Dunn if you want to call him that. After this, we were supposed to get 
uh, six-man tag match of Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders going against Happy Corbin, Madcap, and Jinder Mahal. But Drew McIntyre was in the ring. He was waiting for the Viking Raiders to come out. And then you see on the screen, the Viking Raiders are getting attacked by Corbin and his team. And as Drew McIntyre was walking up the ramp to try to make the save, you see Corbin and the rest of his team come running out to jump Drew. At first, Drew was able to hold his own and took out everybody, but he looked at Corbin and Corbin locked eyes with him. Corbin rushed Drew and took down Drew. So then it turns into this whole beatdown of Corbin's team beating down on Drew to the point that they bring Drew into the ring. They're holding up Drew, and Corbin tells Drew that he wants that Drew wants the match at Mania, and Corbin gives it to him. So Corbin has his people still hold up Drew. Corbin mocks uh, Drew's count that he does before hitting the Claymore because it looks like Drew's, uh, not Drew, but Corbin's going to do something to Drew. But Drew was able to get up, handle everybody again, and Corbin leaves the ring like a coward. Drew gets over to the corner, draw his sword, and he points at the WrestleMania sign. So we're getting Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin. I mean, it's going to be on a Saturday mania, more or less. Eh, I'm okay with this. After this, it will be time for Ronda Rousey to come out to do her in-ring promo. Ronda will talk about making Charlotte tap out last week in the ankle lock. Ronda says that she has been mastering the ankle lock while she has been away, not just raising farm and raising her child, but she's been watching tape and studying how to craft and master the ankle lock, something that her mentor, Kurt Angle, passed on to her. And again... Again, this is still storytelling and a throwback. Remember what I told you guys last week where Ronda locked in the ankle lock on Charlotte that there's that they should tie in her having her first match literally in WWE with her and Kurt Angle to have that tie-in. I'm glad that they did listen. See, I'm telling you, somebody's listening over there, and they tied it in here. You see, Ronda mentions that she's going to tap out Charlotte at Mania. And then you know wrestling. Once you mention somebody's name, they have to come out. Charlotte comes out. She tells Ronda that last week she didn't tap her out because Charlotte wasn't ready. She wasn't in her gear. She was in five-inch uh, heels and a dress. Charlotte tells Ronda that at Mania she's going to humiliate Ronda and at the end of the night make Ronda tap out. As Charlotte leaves the ring, you see Ronda get on the mic and tell Charlotte that at Mania, she's either walking away with Charlotte's arm or Charlotte is going to tap out. So this is, again, building up for their WrestleMania match on Saturday, more or less it being the main event of night one of WrestleMania. But remember, that's in three weeks' time from now. After this would be a tag team matchup. Naomi and Sasha Banks going against Shayna Baszler and Natalia. We were supposed to get Sasha going against uh, Queen Selena. I don't know why they changed that, but it is what it is. Sasha and Naomi will win the match by pinfall. Well, Sasha will hit a floating code breaker on Natalia for the win. So this is giving some momentum to the team of Sasha Banks and Naomi going into WrestleMania. After this, we have the Usos in-ring promo. They're here basically to show off that they've been the SmackDown Tag Champions for 300, no, not 300, 236 days. And they mentioned that Roman has been the Universal Champion for 557 days. Jay mentions that management doesn't have a team for them to face at Mania. And then out comes Nakamura and Rick Boogs. But Rick Boogs has medical bandage taped all around his right leg. Boogs comes out and say, you're looking at the next SmackDown Tag Champions. Jimmy and Jay laugh at this, so Jimmy makes the challenge to Boogs that if he beats Jay tonight, they will get their shot at WrestleMania. 
So that's where we land right here. Rick Boogs with Nakamura in his corner going against Jay Uso with Jimmy Uso in his corner. Rick Boogs will win the match by a pinfall when Rick Boogs will hit the Boogs Cruise, which is a pump handle slam on Jay Uso for the win. Because earlier, like probably like two minutes into the match, no, probably like a minute into the match, Rick Boogs starts unwrapping his legs and he basically paid possum on the Usos to make it seem that he was hurt, but he never was. So that's how Boogs suckered them in. After the match, Jimmy Uso will come in the ring and hit Boogs behind the head with his guitar, breaking it in the process. So, again, SmackDown Tag Team Championship matchup at WrestleMania. The Usos going against Rick Boogs and Nakamura. And I promise you now, we're going to get Nakamura and Boogs being the new SmackDown Tag Champs, unless, and I mean unless, something happens to injury either Nakamura, Boogs, or the Usos, and then that can put everything out of whack. But if it doesn't, we're going to get new tag champs. Anyway, after this, we were supposed to get the Intercontinental Championship matchup. We still do. But before that match does happen, you see Austin Theory come out and berate Pat McAvee. And then he slaps Pat McAvee again the same way that he did uh, last week. And this time, you see Pat McAvee not take it. He gets on the announce table, and then he jumps off of it and jump onto Theory, start pummeling Theory. Pat beats up Theory so much that the security has to separate both of them. So now Austin Theory has to leave and Pat McAfee has to leave as well. So now Michael Cole is all out here to call the main event of SmackDown the end kind of championship matchup between Ricochet and Sami Zayn. Ricochet will win the match by pinfall when he hits the recoil on Sami and then hits the 630 for the win. It was a good match between Sami and Ricochet. After this matchup, we would go directly to the back and we see Ronda Rousey and Charlotte fighting backstage and they're fighting next to a red car. They never say whose car it is. It's just there. Backstage agents try to separate Ronda and Charlotte, but to no avail. Charlotte eventually uh, slams Ronda on top of the car and then gets on the car and locks in Ronda in a modified like Romero special, it looked like. And this is basically showing you that Charlotte's trying to basically tap out Ronda, but Ronda never taps out. Charlotte lets go of the hold, and she starts walking away. So the lasting image that you see on SmackDown is Ronda Rousey on the ground, looking angry and just staring at Charlotte as Charlotte is walking away. So I have a feeling that Mania is going to be a submission match between Ronda and Charlotte. I'll be okay if they declare that, but it seems that's the way that they're going with this. Anyway, SmackDown was a great show to watch. It was good. And uh, the only thing I would change, please change Pete Dunn's name from Butch to either Dunn or Pete Dunn. If you don't want the two names, just change it to Dunn. Not Pete. Just change it to Dunn. Okay? Now to AEW Rampage. They do clarify that next week, Rampage will air 11.30 on Eastern Time, Eastern time and 8.30 Pacific Time because they'll be showing after the NCAA, uh, one of their basketball team uh march madness basketball teams go off their that game so they'll be like going on literally after that at 11 30 eastern time uh after this is the first match of the night mark quinn and isaiah cassidy going against darby allen with sting in his corner basically not a two-on-one a one-on-one um darby would win the match by submission when he locks in the r bar on mark quinn after quinn misses the shooting star press and Quinn taps out. After the match, you see Andrade and his group start walking down to the ring. 
And as soon as they get almost close to the ring, you hear the Hardy Boys old WWF music hit, and they start walking out. And they look like in their old WWF gear, too. The whole, like, uh, sheer shirt that Jeff wears. And Matt, and they're wearing, like, WWF, like, old Team Extreme gear. Jeff looks cool in it. Matt, he has to change it up a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's cool nostalgia piece that they have here. The Hardys come out, and they make basically Andrade and his group leave. So this tells you we're going to get Sting in, Darby, and the Hardys going against Andrade and his group. That seems like the rivalry where we're headed with this. Out of this, we have Mercedes Martinez going against Jamie Hayter, who has Britt Baker and Rebel in her corner. Jamie will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Rebel and an attack by Britt Baker. When Mercedes hit Jamie with the spider uh, German suplex, Rebel will get on the ring apron and strike the referee. So Britt Baker would attack Mercedes Martinez repeatedly, and this would allow Jamie to hit a clothesline on Mercedes for the win. After the match, you see Britt and Rebel get in the ring, and you see Britt lay her AEW Women's Championship down. You see Jamie and Rebel hold Mercedes on, like her face, on the championship, so Britt curb stomp her. But you see Thunder Rosa's music hits. She comes running down to the ring with a chair, and this scares off Britt Baker and Rebel and Jamie. This is setting up Thunder Rosa's match with Britt Baker on Dynamite for the Women's Championship in the Steel Cage. This is what they're setting up for. After this, it's time for Keith Lee to go against QT Marshall, who has Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado in his corner. Keith Lee will win the match by pitfall when Keith hits, hits the Big Bang Catastrophe for the win. After the match, Aaron tries to lock in a sleeper hold on Keith, but that doesn't work. Aaron just gets flinged off Keith's back. Then you see big Nick Camarado get in the ring, and he has a face-off with Keith Lee. Nick was able to hit a clothesline on Keith, but that doesn't take Keith Lee down. Nick tries to go for another clothesline, but Lee just grabs him up, pops him up for a spirit bomb, hit it, and that's it. So now, as Nick Camarado and QT Marshall on the outside of the ring, Keith Lee picks up Aaron Solo and throw him outside of the ring onto QT and Nick Camarado. Then you see Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hob leave the announce table, run into the ring, and they start attacking Keith Lee. Lee was able to push off uh, Ricky Starks off of him, but Powerhouse Hob was able to hit a spine buster on Keith Lee and just leave Lee Lang. I like that they're using Keith Lee's uh, star power because the not the independents, but the diehard wrestling fans, the AEW fan base, know who Keith Lee is. And they're basically going to use Keith Lee as a way to lift up Powerhouse Hob and show off the power that Powerhouse truly has. And I like where they're headed with this. After this, it's time for the main event. Tony Nese going against Swerve Strickland. Swerve will win the match by pinfall when he hits a double foot stomp on the shoulder and chest area of Tony Nese for the win. This was a good match for uh, Swerve to have, to be honest with you. Swerve and Tony Nese has great chemistry. They know each other so well in the ring, and they work together on 205 Live and WWE so much that they know what to do with each other. And the way that Swerve moves in the ring, he his movement is so unique that it only truly works for him. If anybody else would try that, I would look at him like, what are you doing? The only person that probably could, I'm not even going to say probably, there's nobody else that could do what Swerve does. So that arsenal and that moveset and that way that he moves, I only works for Swerve. I only would like to see how he's going to like pan out with other members of the AEW roster. 
But again, Swerve's new into AEW. It is going to be a nice, good uh, showing. It was a nice showing for Swerve. Anyway, Rampage was a good show. If you can find it, uh, look for it. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk about one thing. And it's William Regal because William Regal tweeted out, I believe, uh, Thursday night, not Thursday night, but on Thursday, that he had to apologize because apparently he blew past his time cue in the ring. He went over his time that he had allowed, that he was allowed in the ring. And the tweet reads, this is a professional note from me as I have no other form of social media and will rather my new colleagues see this as I don't like gossip. I am very sorry to everyone affected by my time issues last night. I apologize to everyone personally affected. I should be showing people by example and being a pro and hitting my times. Ladies and gentlemen, William Regal hasn't been on television for the past two years. Not two years, two months. Sorry, I had to correct that. And even when Regal was on television for these past times, well, he'll be on television well, for a brief, what, minute or two, either for a backstage segment or to pop out and say war games. Or in his last like time that he was literally in the ring was whenever Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross and NXT. Other than that, Regal was always like literally backstage, and that's about it for Regal. My whole thing is I have no problem with Regal being out there. And everything on AEW Dynamite still felt like it was supposed to. We were able to hear from Regal after Regal not being on television for these two months. Regal is a beloved uh, wrestler. He's a beloved person in basically in wrestling, if you get my drift. And for Regal to have to tweet to say that he's sorry for uh, blowing past his time, that shows that he, one, does feel for the young talent, and two, somebody must have said something, and he got back to him, and it mu- and it really, like, got to him, and it's like, you know what, I'm a professional, I do know better than this, and I gotta lead the way for these young guys, so nobody can ever say that, hey, you can't come up to me because you blew your time. So, Regal is a constant professional, let's not get it twisted, Regal is the man. But you guys got to excuse Regal for this time. You guys got to. He was excited to be in the eyes of the fans, and he actually got to love doing what he was doing. You can see it on his face when he came down with Brian Danielson. He was smiling. You can see how choked up he was when he was talking to Tony Schiavone, a guy that he hasn't talked to on television for such a long time, and he was able to thank him in front of the fans. That is what William Regal was able to do. He was basically showing his appreciation not only to the fans, but to his colleague that he worked with 20-some-odd years ago that helped him get basically accommodated into America. He was showing him just all this love in the ring. And he was able to show love to his best friend. Well, not a best friend, because that's a friend that he has, Brian Danielson. It might be one of his best friends, but he said a good friend, Brian Danielson. And he has love for Moxley, but you can tell that he really has a lot of love for Brian Danielson. Point is, Regal went over time. Cool. But he was so excited in the moment to be back doing what he was doing. You heard what he said. He was gone. He hasn't been looking at the product. But once he got back into the product, he was able to relish and hearing the fans 
again and hearing and feeling all that electricity from the younger guys and probably not being so micromanaged the way WWE is while AEW are able to be a little bit more freer. Matter of fact, not a little bit more, a lot more freer than you are than you were in WWE. So again, let Regal have this one. Regal is okay. I had no problem with, with it at all. But again, I'm not a performer in the wrestling business. I'm just a guy as a fan watching. And even then that, you know, sometimes some matches go longer than they're expected. And I think that some wrestlers need to cut it because they know something's not working and be like, all right, yo, this ain't working. We need to go home and wrap it up. Some matches need to go that way. and But they don't. We all, and as fans, are agonizing sitting there. I had no problem with Regal doing this, but again, somebody did or somebody had a problem, and this is what made Regal tweet this out. So, hey, he's a professional. Let's not forget it, but he just got worked up and was in the moment a lot, and he loves professional wrestling. And as a professional wrestler uh, fan, it's good to see an actual legend, a veteran that loves professional wrestling, that's been doing it for as long as William Regal has, still loves his profession. He was able to show it. You can still see it in his face that he loved it. It was good to see. So I'm glad that Regal was able to experience it. And I'm glad that he was able to, well, apologize as the pro that he was. But to me, I didn't see nothing wrong with it. But again, I'm not a wrestler that works in AEW. I'm just a fan. So, hey, I just wanted to throw my two cents on it because this is my show and this is my thing. But again, uh, give Will Regal some grace, okay? Now, with all that being said, let me get you guys my social media links so I can get you guys out of here. You can find me at on Twitter. You can find me on my two at my two podcast Instagram, my two cents podcast G two. My email, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. M Y two C E N T S P O D at yahoo.com. You can email me for anything. If you think I got something wrong, you can email me there. If you think I didn't credit somebody right, you can email me there. If you think that, yo, you are probably onto something, you can email me there. Or if you just want to talk to me about anything, you can be wrestling, you can be uh, news related, hey, you can email me there. I'm always there. My email, uh, my email is always open for anybody, okay? Um, I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Audible, and Amazon Music for allowing me to say what I've said on wrestling and allow me to say what I say on my Sunday episodes as well. I really do appreciate it. Also, Sunday episode is dropping tomorrow. I hope you guys do listen to it. Uh, the episode's called It's Up. Trust me, you guys might want to listen to that. There'll be a couple things in there that might pique your interest. Um, anyway, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. This is a goodbye. This is until you hear from this sweet, lovely voice again. I love you all. Have a great Saturday. And I hope you listen to my uh, show on Sunday. But if not, you will hear from me again Saturday. Now, with that all being said, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.